A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easy to turn your ideas into a new and unique website. Showcase your work, blog, or publish content in just a few clicks. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial, use the offer code CANADALAND, and get 10% off of your first purchase of a website or domain. This episode of Canada Land is also brought to you by HelloFresh, the meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take about 30 minutes for everyone from novices to seasoned home cooks who are short on time. For 50% off of your first box, visit hellofresh.ca slash CanadaLand. Use the promo code CanadaLand when you subscribe. If you've stopped paying attention to the Paradise Papers, you are missing some really good stuff. Last week, the CBC reported that Stephen Bronfman, Justin Trudeau's gazillionaire buddy, advisor, and fundraiser, is deeper into this mess than he had previously led us to believe. At first, he said that he had nothing to do with offshore tax schemes beyond this one little questionable no-interest loan to his godfather, no joke, his godfather, in the late 90s. But then CBC's lead investigator, Harvey Kishore, worked through the millions of leaked documents, and he learned and reported that Bronfman was directly linked to companies owed millions of dollars by an offshore Cayman Islands trust well into the next decade. Bronfman's lawyer maintains that no laws or ethics were broken. Now, given the fact that tax fairness is like one of Justin Trudeau's things, conservatives Pierre Polyevra and Andrew Scheer smelled blood. 
and they are doing what they can to make a meal out of the Paradise Papers. Polievra cleverly asked if Justin will immediately order the Liberal Party to give back all the money that Stephen Bronfman raised for them. Andrew Scheer called out the Liberals for hypocrisy and said about the Paradise Papers, it just doesn't look good. Of course, Andrew Scheer has his own tax avoidance scheme, an ownership stake in three real estate limited partnerships, which is this tax shelter strategy available really only to very rich people. Also not a good look. Right. So at this point, I guess you could look at all of this one of two ways. Either shady tax shelters and tax schemes are something that everybody does, everybody among the moneyed political elite, and therefore there's no news here. Or you can say shady tax shelters and tax schemes are something everyone does among the moneyed political elite. So bring it on. Let a thousand stories break. Let us hear about them all. I mean, why not? Why shouldn't we take what these people say about civic service and contributing to public life and pulling one's own weight and basic fairness and compare that with what they actually do with their own money? So reporting this stuff and launching that public debate, having that conversation, that is what journalism is supposed to do. And the Paradise Papers, like the Panama Papers before them, are doing it in a big way. The International Consortium of Investigative Journalists is leading this staggering journalistic collaboration, where 380 journalists around the world, in dozens and dozens of countries and dozens and dozens of different news organizations, they are all working together to dig stories out of data, out of millions of leaked financial documents. They are sharing their findings with each other. They broke all of this in concert with each other. They all kept the secret until the same day. It's kind of remarkable. And then if one story gets blocked somehow, if a wealthy person gets an injunction against a newspaper, one of the partners around the world will publish it instead. This really is a remarkable effort. I don't know that we've ever seen any collaboration like it before the ICIJ. I mean, for example, when the... Panama Papers launched, when the Paradise Papers launched, they all launched on the same day. Hundreds of news organizations all keeping a secret and, and publishing on the exact same day around the world. Uh, it's an incredible thing to organize. And the person who organized it is Gerard Ryle. He is the director of the ICIJ, which is based in Washington, D.C., but Gerard Ryle is currently in Australia, and that's where I reached him. He joins me in a moment. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by James Smith, Rob Palumbo, Rosalie Fine, Karen Thomas, Jamie Farshi, Philip Angermeyer, Anne-Marie Sanchez, and Molly Cronin. Hi, I'm Molly Cronin, and I'm a freelance arts writer and cartoonist from Halifax. I support Canada Land because as a young person preparing to vote in the last federal election, Canada Land Commons was vital in helping me make informed political decisions. And since then, I've known I can count on Canada Land to deliver thoughtful, funny, scathing critiques of Canada's old white boys clubs and institutions, as well as bring insider knowledge to the conversation, all while centering important marginalized voices. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. 
It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. And this episode is brought to you by Squarespace. If you're ready to start your new business, you can make it stand out with Squarespace. They have beautiful templates created by world-class designers. They make it easy to turn your idea into a new and unique website. You can showcase your work, your blog. You can publish content all with just a few clicks. You can sell products and services. You can customize everything. It is optimized for mobile right out of the box. When you're making a website for the web, you are also making it for mobile devices. It'll work on everything. There is nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. If you do have a question, they have 24-7 around-the-clock customer support. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. When you are ready to launch, use the offer code CANADALAND to save 10% off of your first purchase of a website or domain. That is squarespace.com, offer code CANADALAND. This episode is also brought to you by HelloFresh. I have used the meal kits that HelloFresh sends to your door in a very cool insulated box. And I have to be honest, part of the pleasure for me is actually the unboxing. Everything is so thoughtfully arranged and the way that certain things are kept cool and certain things are kept away from the freezer pack so they don't get frozen. And it's very thoughtful. Everything is considered. The recipes are tested. And then when you start cooking this stuff, it actually takes like what they say. It's 30 minutes or less. It's often less. The recipes are also tested for tastiness. They work. Some recipes take a little bit of getting used to. I like to cook, and I know this, that some things, you know, figure out your techniques. Some things just work. The flavors go well together. Everything tastes nice, and part of that is because they're using such nice ingredients, so they're going to taste good. This is a great time of year when things get really busy and the days are short and you don't want cooking to be like a four-step ordeal, going to the grocery store, meal planning, all that. This is a great time to try out a meal kit service if you never have before. And because you listen to the show, you're going to get 50% off of your first box. So why not try it out? Go to hellofresh.ca slash CanadaLand. Enter the promo code CanadaLand when you subscribe. Hi, Jared. Hi. When I go and click on the database and the Paradise Papers has now opened up the database of uh, financial documents for anyone to sort through, or when I read any of the stories about the Paradise Papers, uh, I get this disclaimer where I'm told, calm down, 
there are legitimate uses for offshore companies and trusts. We do not intend to suggest or imply that any people, companies, or other entities included in this offshore leaks database have broken the law or have otherwise acted improperly. I understand why you have to provide that disclaimer, but, you know, between you and me and our listeners here, come on. Like, if you're if you're socking money away in a Bermuda holding account, what legitimate reason beyond avoiding taxes are you doing that for? There's no logical reason or, I mean, obviously the laws are the laws and therefore if the law says it's okay, then it's it, technically it is okay. But there's no legitimate reason for any of this. These are all false constructs. Um, these islands that we're talking about, they're just doing it for economic reasons. And basically they don't have an economy without the offshore industry. And people have gone over there and have basically taken advantage of that. And so essentially what you're seeing here are people that are not complying with the rules in their own countries, but basically deciding that they want different rules and therefore they're going offshore to get those rules. I mean, secrecy is why you do this, right? Well, there's only one product in the offshore world and that is secrecy. So without secrecy, they don't have anything to sell. And the money, you've got to remember, it doesn't actually end up in the Caribbean island. It stays in the main banks that you and I use every day. This is all a false construct to make it look like the money is, is not in Canada or not in America, or not in Britain. But eventually, if you want to spend that money, you got to bring it over. And that's where, you know, they're, they're using this technicality. Well, we're not breaking any laws because the laws are different in these offshore countries. But when that money comes back into Canada, let's say, you need to pay taxes on it. And if you're not doing that, then you are breaking the law. The problem is that we don't really know because of the secrecy in these offshore accounts. Yeah, it's all about basically hiding the information from the authorities. There are many very easy ways of getting money back into Canada if you have money overseas. For instance, you can set up a trust, um, an offshore trust basically that um, may not be linked to you on any paper form anywhere. And you can lend yourself money from that trust back to yourself. And of course, loans are not taxable. So therefore, there's no tax to be paid according to the letter of the law. It's pretty staggering. And, and when I consider the way that this has played out here in Canada, it was sort of a one-day news story when it was revealed that a former prime minister, Brian Mulroney, showed up in the Paradise Papers that he was the director of a holding company for Syrian Saudi businessman Wafiq Saeed, who was sort of this key player in the Al-Yamama oil for arms deal between the UK and Saudi Arabia, which is the biggest arms deal in British history and also resulted in a bunch of fraud and criminal proceedings. Like, what is the legitimate kosher reason for Mulroney to have been a director in that company? But it, it sort of it sort of blew up and then went away. Well, that's the problem with these kinds of investigations, because you're dealing with 13 and a half million documents. There are probably 13 and a half million stories in there. And we as journalists can only tackle certain a certain number of them over a period of time. We had nearly 400 journalists working in 67 countries on these stories. And we produced, I think the CBC produced, you know, days and days of stories, as did the Star in Toronto. And of course, the reporters around the world have produced, oh, I don't know, I'm guessing probably a thousand stories between them. But there are so many pieces of history here that were never explored at the time because this information was never available to the public. And you're now seeing history in a way that you've never been able to see before. And this is one perfect example of it. The thing is, though, it can sort of feel like you've got the great opening intro of some huge international spy plot of you've got a former prime minister dealing with this holding company. But some of these stories, it feels like you don't get to the, the smoking gun. And I, I wonder if the kind of stories that this opens up 
again and again, what we have, you know, the queen, her photo was posted in, in connection with the Paradise Papers, Bono, but we, we don't get that second and third chapter. Has there been a Paradise Papers story that you felt has really conclusively proven wrongdoing? Uh, are we just not there yet? Or is that just the nature of these stories is that they can kind of open things up, but they can't shut them down? Well, it's very important as a journalist to only act on the information that you have. So unfortunately, when you have these leaks of documents, you can only report on what you see. You can't, you know, every journalist starts off by typing in their prime minister or their favorite businessman, the person they've been doing stories on for years. And they quickly learn that they've got to follow what the documents say rather than what's in their head or prejudge the documents themselves. And it's very important for us just to stick with the facts here. And we can only report on the stories we're seeing. You know, we did find the Queen in there. Why was that important? Well, because her offshore entities, which, you know, again, had been secret, the important piece of information was one of those offshore entities was investing in what we would term as a predatory lending firm. That's an important story because it's the kind of actions that you would never expect from the Queen. Um, Bono, again, he'd been a campaigner against offshore tax havens, saying that there needed to be no secrecy around this. And yet he himself had a secret um, investment that basically had invested in a, in a firm in Lithuania and had come out uh, allegedly anyway that there was some wrongdoing there. Now, I mean, Bono's response was pretty uh, pretty amazing, actually. He he said, you know, mea culpa, I didn't know what I was investing in, and I still believe that this is um, something that should be made public, and that the journalism, he actually praised the journalism involved here. The Queen's reaction was a little different. She just said, I didn't know what I was investing in. So you got to ask yourself, well, why didn't you know? I guess going to your point here is that I do think that this is going to take a while for people to fully understand. And I also think that some of the stories that are in here, some of the connections that we're making, we don't have maybe more smoking guns, to use your phrase. But I think over time, these stories will become important and the documents themselves will be clues to future stories for journalists. With the Panama Papers, uh, was it the Prime Minister of Iceland who was forced to resign based on those revelations? Two prime ministers resign. Actually, we had the prime minister of Iceland resign, and we also then eventually had the prime minister of Pakistan resign. My God, we had politicians. We had a politician in in Spain, um, a, a government minister there, and we had lots of you know leaders, of, um, business leaders, and other politicians around the world. More minor ones resigning. Has there been anything similar in the aftermath of the Paradise Papers? A few weeks in now, uh, any any similar stories? Well, I think it's a it's a we, we've had one resign one major resignation in Europe, and the head of the business um, lobby in in um, I think it's Holland. Oh no, sorry, Sweden. <laughs> Apologies. Um, he had to resign yesterday, so that's the first big resignation. It's a bigger resignation than it sounds. This is a very important person in Sweden, but I think you're starting to see inquiries being formed now. We know the European Commission are about to open another inquiry into this. Um, there's calls for an independent inquiry in Britain. And presumably, there's lots of uh, questions that have to be answered in Canada as well. I think these things take time. You know, we found, for instance, with the Panama Papers, it was almost a year later before the prime minister of Pakistan had to resign. We had named him on day one, um, linking him to or his family to property in London. And he basically fought, um, you know, fought against it for a year until finally a judicial inquiry decided that what was revealed was actually wrong and he had to resign over it. It was a bit different in, in Iceland. The Icelandic prime minister resigned almost immediately because of the outrage there. People surrounded the parliament in Iceland and threw yogurt and bananas at the parliament house until he resigned. But sometimes these things just simply take time. You know, governments have got to investigate. We, we found 
with the Panama Papers that um, hundreds of millions of dollars in taxes um, were recovered by authorities around the world. Now, you've got to remember that the initial reaction from a lot of the people in Panama Papers was the same as here uh, with Paradise, in that they were saying there's nothing illegal, nothing um, happening here is wrong. And yet when authorities started investigating, they seized and recovered you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. We just got a stockpile of bananas and yogurt, I suppose. Uh, I guess it's possible here in Canada, I mean, this sort of went up to the highest levels with uh, Stephen Bronfman, uh, the prime minister's advisor and uh, fundraiser being named in connection with the senator and and a story that involves what seems like a deceptive practice in in loans that were loans in in, in name only. The details of this are getting worked out and I want to be very careful and technical in my language here, but it seems like there was a level of, 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 uh, of deception in the practices here. And yet the prime minister, you know, has, has said that he's satisfied with Stephen Bronfman's response. This may be, as you suggest, something that takes time, but there's so much will from such powerful people in such high places for this to go away. Yeah, you know, you've been doing this for a while. You probably have have seen this work out a number of different ways. Well, first of all, we're up against the richest and the most powerful people in the world. I think there was a difference between Paradise Papers and and the Panama Papers. Panama Papers was a, a law firm in Panama, and the firm itself was quickly dismissed as being a sort of a rogue firm that um, always had a reputation for taking on criminal clients, etc. This is different. These Paradise Papers were really largely focused on Appleby, which is one of the more respected law firms in the offshore world. In fact, it's one of what so-called magic circle law firms. And I think this really rattled the hierarchy around the world because basically these were the richest people and, and you know, and were also some of the biggest and most powerful corporations in the world that we're writing about. And again, I think, you know, what you're looking at here are secrets. Um, and I think what the problem they've got now is that they don't know what else we know. And we do have 13 and a half million documents. I noticed this morning there was another story in the CBC about about the Canada case that, that reflects a little bit more light into what was happening. And I think that the documents, as we keep digging and keep revealing more and more from the documents, um, what really happened is going to come out one way or the other. Talking a bit more about the response, and not just from the wealthy and the elite, but for some of their champions, you would think that newspaper people would, would be bullishly in favor of this. Uh, this is our job, after all. But um, we have a columnist here, uh, Terence Corcoran, who writes for the National Post, a paper uh, that was founded by Conrad Black. Corcoran has taken aim at you, at the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. Uh, he's called the ICIJ a class warmongering neo-Marxist media organization. And in sort of a shoot the messenger attempt here, he's turned the accusation onto, onto you and saying that you are a non-taxpaying organization funded by tax-free contributions from non-taxpaying foundations. And now you're hunting down international corporations and the wealthy for allegedly not paying taxes. I think the accusation there is one of hypocrisy, and I wanted to give you a chance to respond to it. Well, we are funded entirely from foundations and from individuals. We rely on charity, basically, to survive. Interestingly, we found two of our donors in the data, and we published details about both of those donors. Um, are we Marxist? Oh, God, I'll be accused of many things over the last couple of years when we published the Panama Papers. ICIJ was being was accused, I think, by by Putin in Russia of being an arm of the CIA. Uh-huh. And then I read I read after Paradise Papers that we were the arm of the Russian government. So I mean, it's very hard to respond to accusations like this because they're you know basically pathetic and nonsense. Um, we're journalists doing you know the kind of work that journalists should be doing around the world. We you know we basically work as a collective 
we bring in as many um, journalistic organizations as we can for each investigation. We work across different time zones, different languages. We never interfere with the, um, at, you know, basically the editorial decision of each organization is their own. Whatever the CBC or the Star in Canada decide to investigate is entirely up to them. We don't, all we do is provide the information. It's the journalists who find the stories. So if you're making any accusation against ICIJ, then you need to really um, make that same accusation across you know, 100 and something media organizations around the world. So we're all the same. We're all thinking the same. It seems kind of a very strange thing to have to defend yourself against. This is just journalism. For reasons that I can't fathom, Terence Corcoran sees it as, as his role to defend the wealthy. But I have received other criticism. I'll tell you the two types of responses that I'm getting a lot as somebody whose job is to look at the media. My email inbox is filled with people saying one of two things. Half of the people who are writing me about this are saying – this is all much ado about nothing, Jesse. What did you expect? We all knew that the mega wealthy try to hide their money from taxation, just like we do. Everybody is trying to do what they can within the law to pay the least amount of taxes possible. And this is a big nothing. And it's not surprising. That's one response. The other response I'm getting is from people saying, you need to be rattling cages about why this isn't a bigger story here in Canada. People should be taking to the streets. We're a country that it was in the news cycle for weeks when a, a, a minister was found overcharging for a glass of orange juice. And yet we now know that there's something like $8 billion that's kept out of the public coffers by the richest people in the country. And it feels like the story is already going away. Please make some noise about this. Yeah, well, I do think that people should be marching in the streets over this because if these people aren't paying their fair share of taxes and you and I are paying more, it's as simple as that. I mean, it, it comes down to that. I mean, what these false constructs allow, basically people to play by different rules to everybody else. You know, you and I live in this world. We live in, we choose to live in a certain country. We choose to pay taxes in that country because we want roads and schools for for, for ourselves and for our children for the future. This is not about everyone basically avoiding a little bit of tax the way they can. This is allowing people to play by completely different rules to you and I. Because they're wealthy enough to be able to go offshore, they're able to avoid um, huge amounts of taxes. You're talking about, you know, billions of dollars. It, it is it is very much a false construct. I do think, though, that, that sometimes people, you know, um, don't realize that when a story is right in front of them, that it is a story. Coming, coming back to your first point about, oh, we all know that everyone avoids taxes. I mean, I hate to use the same, the same comparison because it is a little bit extreme, but I mean, you know, at one point slavery was legal and it was seen as a normal thing. And I think what you're seeing here is immoral and probably shouldn't be happening. But until now, people have not seen it in its full light. And I think all we can do as journalists is, is, is present the issue as an issue. It doesn't matter whether it's a legal issue, whether it's already there, whether it's something that some people might sympathize with. We've got to do our jobs as journalists just to lay out the facts. And, and often the best stories in the world are the ones that are right in front of us and that we just can't see without a new sort of you know, lens being put on that story. And I think that's what you're seeing here. And, and that's what we are attempting to do, to show the inequity that's going on. And there is an enormous amount of inequity that you see in the documents. And I think that that is something that everyone cares about. We all care about having a fair go. One of the impacts of this, uh, it occurs to me, is preventative power. Like, I think in the past, you may have had very wealthy people saying to their financial managers and accountants and lawyers, here's the money, do whatever you can to hold on to as much of it as you can and grow it, but I don't want to end up audited and I don't want to end up in jail. 
And now I think because of your work, they have to add to that list. I don't want to get audited. I don't want to end up in jail. And I don't want to end up in the papers the next time there's a major leak. Do you, do you, do you see that as part of the, of the impact here is, is that you will, you're, you're providing a pretty powerful disincentive to using this type of tax avoidance? You've hit the nail on the head. It's probably the biggest thing that we've managed to achieve. This is a fifth major leak that we've had that we've worked on with with reporters around the world over the last five years. And I think every time we publish something like this, it is making people think because we're really attacking that one product that we talked about that the offshore world sells and that's secrecy. And once you've removed the secrecy, then there is no product. And I think up till now, you know, we've all been journalists for you know many years and we've all found crimes or we've chased stories about money laundering or we've tried to find the secret account that a politician had. And we always end up in the offshore world and we've always ended up frustrated. We're now able to lift a veil over part of that world at least. I mean, we've now, I think, managed to get leaks from three or four different offshore law firms, but we know there are 800 of them out there, at least. And so, you know, it really is only a very small part of the offshore world. But I think every time you publish something like this, you are sending, you know, setting a, a precedent and you, you don't know, people don't know what's going to come next. And I think that's one thing that's in the mind of the politicians that are defending this right now. They don't know what else we've got and they don't know what else was going to come out in the future. So they have to be very careful too in their answers to all of the questions they're getting. You know, with the first leak, they could afford, you know, to be a little bit more complacent, thinking it was a one-off. But now this is the fifth time, and they don't know what's coming next. I think you're going to be motivating a lot of people towards cryptocurrency. I don't want to find out that you invested in Bitcoin before all this began. I'll be t- terribly disappointed. <laughs> I don't have any money, so I feel safe on that front. <laughs> I forgot that you're a journalist for a second there. Sorry. Um, for my final question, I just want to ask you if you can talk a little bit about Daphne Caruana Galizia. Yeah, look, Daphne was a journalist in Malta who was murdered. Um, She was murdered, I think, about six or seven weeks ago. Daphne was the mother of one of our um, one of our staff, Matthew. Matthew basically is the computer programmer that that made all these documents available to the journalists. He writes the scripts. I mean, one thing that ICIJ relies on heavily is technology. And we basically get these millions of documents and we make them into a searchable format. Matthew was um, one of the people doing that. Um, his mother, Daphne, was a very famous Maltese journalist, and she was a blogger, probably the most famous journalist in the country. And she took up the case of the Panama Papers after we'd published. So we had published our stories, and then Daphne, um, who wasn't part of our team and wasn't wasn't part of the Panama Papers reporting project, but she was able to go further with her own sources inside Malta. Again, we had published details about three different companies in Malta. Two of these companies we'd linked to uh, one a government minister and one to the chief of staff of the prime minister. Daphne went further and alleged that the third company was actually linked to the prime minister himself through his wife, through the prime minister's wife. Um, And then uh, whether or not that was the reporting that had her killed, we don't know. But um, clearly when she was killed, it was reported heavily that she was the, the main reporter in, in, in Malta that was leading the Panama Papers um, reporting. But again, I emphasize it was she wasn't part of our team, but she was able to take the information we'd made public on our website and in our reporting and then bring that story further forward. This can be dangerous work uh, when very, very powerful and wealthy people feel like they're being hunted. And uh, I'm wondering, to your knowledge, has anyone picked up on on her work, uh, the 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 
point of this may have been to silence her, and I'm wondering if that was uh, successful. We don't know exactly what she was working on. She was working on several different stories at the same time. And uh, there, there is some um, interest, I believe, in, in the journalism world of taking on her stories and reporting them out. But again, where that's up to, I, I can't talk about simply because I am also um, got a conflict there because I'm trying to protect um, a member of my staff who presumably is also potentially at risk. So therefore, uh, it's something my concern is only with my staff member, um, who unfortunately was the person who found his mother and had to go into the field and, I guess, pick up the pieces. Um, I mean, she, you know, it was a it was a horrible thing what happened. She was basically blown up in a car. So, sorry, it's a strange situation for us to be in. Yeah, it's a terrible, terrible outcome. Uh, Jared, thank you so much for your time today. You're very welcome, Jesse. That is your Canada Land. You can email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com and I read everything you send me. We're on Twitter at Canada Land. If you like our Facebook page, that is a way to get our news stories into your Facebook newsfeed. Another way is to go to canadalandshow.com where they pop up when they are ready. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. This episode is produced by Kevin Sexton. Syndication of this show, we offer it for free to community and campus radio around the country, and that is all handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. You can visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, please support us on Patreon. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to and so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.